glimmer of light from Isaiah. December marks the dawn of the year as winter comes. And yet, in the Christian perspective, December marks the beginning of a new year in the season of Advent. In December, the darkness is deepest and longest in the northern hemisphere. You will probably hear in the background the winter winds and rains beat on the pane of my window as I record this podcast. One of the major themes of Advent is hope. Hope is the fuel which keeps Christians going. Hope is daring and courageous. It has the audacity to reach a hand into the darkness and to come out with a handful of light. Isaiah chapter 9 and verses 1 to 7 is a standard Advent reading and is pregnant with audacious hope in the midst of gloom. Let's read it together to extract a handful of light. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he who brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. They are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every bush of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the far. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah was one of a number of 8th century prophets whose work was recorded and preserved in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Christian Old Testament. Isaiah served in the courts of four kings of Judah, the southern kingdom, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, for over a half century, roughly covering the years 750 to 690 B.C. He was what we might think of 
as a royal appointee, a court chaplain. The backcloth to these years of Isaiah's ministry was the constant menace of Assyria, an ancient superpower based in the city of Nineveh on the banks of the river Tigris in upper Mesopotamia, on the outskirts of the modern Iraqi city of Mosul. The aggression of Assyria cast a dark shadow over its small neighbours, including Israel and Judah. During Isaiah's ministry, Assyria had invaded the northern kingdom of Israel in 733 BC. The northern kingdom became a rump state, little more than a small sphere of influence around its capital, Samaria. By 720 BC, the northern kingdom had been consigned to the dustbin of history. And it seemed only a matter of time before the southern kingdom of Judah would be grasped by the Assyrian stranghold over the region. In an unsafe and threatening world, Isaiah, God's spokesman, reminded God's beleaguered people that their only hope, their only light, was in their God. And in this prophecy, Yahweh reveals that a child would be born and who would prove to be a great light for people walking in the darkness. In the light of the coming of this child, Isaiah wants his readers to see, first, darkness giving way to light in verses 1 and 2. Isaiah opens chapter 9 with a promise of a reversal in verse 1. But there will be no gloom over her who was in anguish. Specifically, he then makes reference to geography, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. These were two tribal areas in the north of Israel, stretching from around the Sea of Galilee in the east towards the Mediterranean coast in the west. In the former time, that is in the recent past, these areas were consumed by the aggression, the Assyrian war machine and plunged into darkness. But in a time to come, the latter time, darkness would give way to light. We read that in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. Darkness giving way to light is the first reversal this prophecy unfolds. Matthew, the gospel writer, quotes these verses from Isaiah 9 directly as being fulfilled when Jesus came to the town of Capernaum on the shores of the Sea of Galilee in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali to begin his ministry. You can read that in Matthew chapter 4 and verses 12 to 17. The very region that had been plunged into darkness was to be the first place to see the great light of the Son of Righteousness, Jesus of Nazareth. 
Secondly, in this passage before us, Isaiah sees sadness giving way to gladness in verses 3 to 5. The root word in Hebrew for gladness or joy occurs four times in verse 3. Do you notice it? Look carefully. The second line, you have increased its joy. Speaking of the nation. Third line, they, that is the people, rejoice before you. Fourth line, as with joy at the harvest. And the last line, as they are glad when they defied, defied the spoil. People are in celebratory mood, acknowledging in their gladness that their God is the joy giver. And the reason for their celebration is evident in verse 4. Freedom. God has broken the burden of bondage. He has stopped the body blows. He has broken the implements of beating by the tyrants. God has accomplished this in the same way as he liberated his people from bondage in Egypt many generations before, hence the reference to the days of Midian in verse 4. Midian harassed God's people on their journey from bondage in Egypt across the Sinai Peninsula to freedom in the land of promise. In other words, Yahweh has pacified all aggressors. Gladness and freedom, joy and liberation are only possible because God has disarmed and decommissioned the instruments of war. In the graphic poetry of verse 5, for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. How will all of this come about? Who will achieve this? Isaiah comes to the climax of his prophecy as he announces tyranny giving way to justice in verses 6 and 7. And remarkably, the agent of this transformation is the child of verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. This climactic verse explains everything. One commentator has put it like this. God's answer to everything that has ever terrorized us is a child. For those who heard these words, at the time of Isaiah, this meant no less than regime change from the parlous and pathetic figure of the king of Judah, Ahaz, who had squandered the nation's resources, forfeited its sovereignty, jettisoned its faith in Yahweh. The identity of the child to be born is contained in a fourfold name at the end of verse 6. Wonderful counselor. The wonder element infers deity, a divine or supernatural person who will discern the right path and course of action instead of the bungling of keen Ahaz. 
The child is also called the mighty God, a warrior who will protect his people from tyrannical regimes like the Assyrians. The third descriptive name of the child is ironically the everlasting father who exercises care and concern on behalf of his people. He is always a father to his children. Then finally, the child is called Prince of Peace. This is not an inner peace in a troubled world, but a protective peace in a nasty world. That peace only comes when the enemy is defeated and victory won. And Isaiah continues by describing the child's rule, his government in verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. His government will be final. There will be no end. His government will be a throwback to David's kingdom. His government will be built on justice. And in the last line of verse 7, Isaiah underlines the passion that will make all of this happen, the zeal, the enthusiasm, the passion of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah wants his readers to know that what may seem unbelievable is not only credible but certain. All of this in the face of King Ahaz's trembling and timid regime tottering on the brink before the might of Assyria. How can we apply an ancient prophecy like this to the now of our lives and to our world? Three things. One, light. We have been exploring this text, rooting around for a handful of life. And what have we found? The only light is in the teaching and testimony of Yahweh. The alternative lights of the ancient world, of our world, the so-called new lights of the Enlightenment, are only supplementary to the great light like floodlights on a sports field as compared to the noonday sun. One of the main elements of the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles, celebrated in the temple at Jerusalem, was the Festival of Light, when four huge candelabra hanging in the temple court of women were lit in a great ceremony. In a pre-electric age, their light radiated throughout the temple and beyond the city. It must have been spectacular. And amid the celebration of songs and singing, a Galilean from the land of Zebulun and Naphtali declared to the people of his day, I am the light of the world. John records these words of Jesus in his Gospel, chapter 8, in verse 12, I am Yahweh 
in Hebrew is the name of God. The God, the source of light, has come amongst us. Why live in Shadowland? Why seek to live by your own light or any other light when the real light has come into the world? Jesus. Secondly, joy. The anguish of the gloom of the 8th century BC, Isaiah said, would give way to gladness and joy. What is joy? Joy is a feeling of delight, of great pleasure. To rejoice is to be joyful, to be glad. And unlike happiness, joy is not necessarily based on something pleasant happening to us, but on an attitude of the heart or the spirit. For Christians, God is the joy giver. Joy is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Indeed, the Greek word used for joy in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, and in the New Testament has its root in this idea of gift. The transformation from sadness to gladness in Isaiah was God's gift to his anguished people. And this extraordinary year, 2020, has not been joyful in any sense of that word or any stretch of the imagination. We need to be reminded that joy, the joy of the child of Isaiah chapter 9, brought into the world in the birth of Jesus, was like no other kind in history. In spite of the prevailing circumstances of our lives, in this time of corona, Jesus Christ can be our joy the ultimate gift of Christmas. And finally, justice. The tyrants of the 8th century BC are now a footnote in history. They're artefacts found in the great museums of the world. But tyranny is very much alive in the contemporary world, and it takes many forms. There are tyrannical regimes, one thinks of North Korea, There are tyrannical movements. ISIS and Boko Haram spring to mind. There are tyrannical influences which seek to censor and control our lives, our thinking and our speech. There seems to be no end of tyranny. History teaches us that once one tyrant is put down, it morphs like Hydra into new forms which is as damaging as the old tyranny. The world is replete with examples. You're probably thinking about now. Is there no end to tyranny? The Christian response to that is yes. The end of the world's dark night will come when the child of Isaiah 9, the child of Bethlehem, Jesus Christ returns. His second coming, second advent, is the yearning of this season of advent. The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace will return in person to our world and put things right.
and in putting things right. He will deal with all wrong in judgment. And his judgment on humanity, past or present, will be just and will be final. There will be no room for appeal. All human history is moving to that point. The so-called day of the Lord, as the prophets of the Old Testament called it. Being aware of this is one thing. Being prepared for it is everything. The only place of safety or security on that great and fateful day is in the child to be born in Isaiah 9, the Messiah, Christ the Lord. And until that day, we live with courageous faith in Jesus Christ, treating all people fairly, upholding justice and challenging wrong in the name and by the strength of the Prince of